Friends, good morning. Good morning and welcome to Pleasant Street Christian Reformed Church. For those of you who are visiting with us either in person or online, welcome as we begin our Easter season worship together here at Pleasant Street. If you are new, if you're visiting with us, uh, things happening about the life of our congregation and also the ways that we'll be worshiping together, you can find in the bulletin that you found, hopefully on your way in. Those, thing, those same things are on the screen, so if you're following along at home, that'll, that'll have the words that we say together and the lyrics for the hymns and songs that we'll sing. Um, also, you will find in the bulletin a note about what one of the things that makes today very special, which is that today we get to welcome and celebrate uh, baptisms and two new families joining the life of Pleasant Street as members. Uh, historically, Easter was always a season in the life of the church uh, in the light of the death and resurrection of Jesus when the church celebrated new life happening in our lives too. And one of the ways that they did that was through baptisms and welcoming new members into the life of a church. And so this morning we get to continue and uh, play a role in that ancient practice of remembering and celebrating that because of the resurrection of Jesus, the things that we thought could never change uh, can. The things that we thought would always be dead places in our lives can spring forth with life. Uh, the places uh, where we thought we would always be alone and where life was simply too dark for God or light to penetrate into it, we remember that uh, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, there is no place where God now cannot be found when we walk through this world. Easter is full of so much good news that it's going to take us six weeks to ponder this together. Today, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. So as we uh, get into worship this morning, I'd like you to, uh, I'd invite you to rise as we begin our singing, um, and also to let you know that right after this service, there will be a potluck. Uh, so if you're just finding that out, uh, it's probably too late to cook something, don't worry. We hope that you'll stick around. Uh, and join us in the fellowship hall right after worship. Friends, uh, let's worship the Lord together. Join me in the call to worship. The Lord who calls us to worship today is the same Jesus who refused the temptation to worship the evil one. Rather than receive the glorious kingdoms of the world, he endured the shame of the cross and today is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. With the saints of all ages, we say,
be seated. Today, we remember and celebrate the gift of baptism. For those of you who are reading carefully in our Friday communication, you may have seen an ask, an invitation to bring an object with you today that reminds you of God's love or your baptism. Anybody, any careful readers, did anybody bring anything with them? No? No? That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> the, uh, the good news, my friends, is that God has given you one already. Water. Something that we drink, that we cleanse ourselves with, that we vacation by the seaside with, that we refresh ourselves around. Water is the symbol and the sign that God gives us to remind us of his love. Brothers and sisters in Christ, baptism is the sign and seal of God's promises to this covenant people. God promises in baptism by grace alone to forgive our sins, to adopt us into the body of Christ, and to send the Holy Spirit daily to cleanse and renew us and to resurrect us to eternal life. We get to see and hear God's promises in the water of baptism. Friends, water cleanses, purifies, refreshes, sustains. Jesus Christ is living water. And friends, through the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we remember that the power of sin was broken, God's kingdom entered our world, and we have become citizens of that kingdom. Through baptism, God calls us to love and trust him completely, to forsake the evil of the world, and to live a new and holy life. And so, we neither despair of God's mercy when we sin, nor do we continue in sin. For baptism is the sign of God's promise to wash us of our sins and God's seal assuring us that we belong to Jesus in life and death. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, together, I invite us now to take a moment to remember our baptisms by rejecting sin and professing our faith in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, trusting in the gracious mercy of God, do you turn from the ways of sin and renounce evil and its power in the world? What is your answer? Friends, do you turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as your Lord and Savior, trusting in his grace and love? Will you be Christ's faithful disciples, obeying his word and showing his love? Brothers and sisters, baptism calls us to confess our sins, and it is also the reminder of what God has done about it. And so assured again in the cleansing, renewing work of God, I have a dedication and a call for you. Brothers and sisters, washed by Christ, you have been clothed with Christ. Therefore, lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And all of this, my friends, is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Thanks be to God. Friends, I would invite you again to rise as we sing one more time a verse of Crown Him with Many Crowns.
You may be seated. Having remembered our baptisms together, we now have an opportunity to witness the baptism of some of our newest members at Pleasant Street, Garrett Cullen and Eleanor Van Eck and Joy Wieringa. So, my friends, if you would, come on forward. This would be your opportunity to join us up here. Carla and Josh, uh, Colleen and James, today we celebrate this gift of God's grace with joy. In presenting your kids... Uh, Garrett, Cullen, Eleanor, and Joy for baptism, you all announce your love for Jesus Christ, your eagerness to share in the life of Christ's church, and your commitment to live as Christ's disciple in the world. I now ask uh, you as families to, um, and the congregation of which you are a part, to profess your faith in Jesus. So, and if we need to move around because we got the wiggles, that's okay. That's, that's all right. There's plenty of space, right? So Carla and Josh, I'll start with you guys. Do you promise to continue to instruct uh, Garrett, Cullen, and Eleanor in the truth of God's word, in the ways of salvation through Jesus Christ, to pray for them, to teach them to pray, and to train them in Christ's way by your example, through worship, and in the nurture of the church? What is your answer? Yep. Colleen and James. Colleen, James, do you promise to continue to instruct joy in the truth of God's word in the way of salvation through Jesus Christ, to pray for her, to teach her to pray, and to train her in Christ's way by your example through worship and in the nurture of the church? What is your answer? Congregation, I have one for you as well. In view of God's mercies and this symbol and sign of baptism, what do you promise together? Amen. Friends, in the baptisms of Garrett, Cullen, Eleanor, and Joy, God reminds us that before we could choose God, God claimed us. When we were orphans and strangers in the world, God adopts us. Congregation, just as God marks these children, so too does God renew his claim on you. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit upon Garrett and Cullen and Eleanor and Joy today, that this water may be a spring gushing up to eternal life. Wash away their sin. Raise them to new life and graft them to the body of Christ. Pour your Holy Spirit upon them that they may have wisdom to discern their gifts, strength to obey your will, and joy in answering your call. To you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, be all praise, honor, and glory now and forever. Amen. Garrett, for you, this reminds us that Jesus came into the world and Jesus died and was raised from the dead. For you, he lives in heaven and is praying for you. And he did all of this 
for you before you knew anything about it. And we, as a church and as your parents, promise to tell you this story until you make it your own. For in this, the gospel is made true. We love because God first loved us. Amen. Garrett Joshua Van Eck, I baptize you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, I know you feel the urge, but let's, let's hold our applause to the end. There we go. Colin, you ready, buddy? Come on down. Do you want to feel the water? You can feel it if you want. It's warm, just like your brother. Yeah, it's a little warm. That's right. It's getting colder, so we'll keep moving, right? Colin, for you, Jesus came into the world. For you, he died and was raised from the dead. For you, he is in heaven praying for you. All this he did for you before you knew anything about it, and we as a church and as your parents promise to tell you this story until you can make it your own, for this is how the gospel is made true. We love because he first loved us. Jesus is my king. Nice job. Amen. Ready? All right. Cullen Bradley Vanek, I baptize you in the name of the Father. In the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God. All right, good job, man. High five. Hi. Eleanor. Hi. How are you doing? You can't really see. Can I pick you up? Would that be all right? All right, here you go. You feel it? It's nice, huh? It's warm. Yeah. Ready? Eleanor. This water reminds us that Jesus came into the world for you, that Jesus died and was raised from the dead, that Jesus is in heaven praying for you, and that he did all of this before you knew anything of it. And so our congregation, your church, and your parents, we promise to tell you this story until you can make it your own, for this is how the gospel is made true. We love because he first loved us. Would you like to say Jesus is my king? Jesus is my king. Nice job. Amen. Now, do you want me to hold you or do you want to stand? What would you like to do? It's okay. How about if I hold you? Yeah, it's all right to be nervous. Ready? Eleanor Grace Vanek, I baptize you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You didn't know you'd get a little shower today, huh? <laughs> nice job. Yeah, that's right. Joy, you're doing great. How are you doing? Joy, come here. Look at this. Oh, come here. Yeah, look at that. Look, look at this. You want to feel the water? Feel. Yes. <gasps> My work here is done. Uh, all right. Ready? Here we go. All right. Joy, this water reminds us that uh, Jesus came into the world for you. For you, he died and rose from the dead. For you, he is in heaven praying for you. Yep, that's right. And God did all of this for you before you knew anything about it. And we, we promise to tell you this story until you can make it your own. Jesus loves me. 
Jesus loves me. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, very good. That's right. Oh, little cough. That's right. Very good. All right, are you ready? Yeah. Wanna do the water? Okay, three times, remember? Okay. Joy Polina Wieringa. That's your name. I baptize you in the name of the Father. Yeah, that's good. Just follow me. That's right. In the name of the Son. Good. And in the name of the Holy Spirit. Here, let me get that out of your eyes. Sorry about that. It's a little, yeah. Good job. There you go. Extra water. Good. And friends, I'd invite you to extend your hands in blessing as we bless all of these family members. Garrett, Cullen, Eleanor, Joy. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen. Brothers and sisters, receive Garrett, Cullen, Eleanor, and Joy into Christ's church. I charge you to nurture and love them and to teach them to be Christ's faithful disciples. Let's respond together. Pray with me. Gracious Lord, look with kindness upon these parents. May they ever rejoice in the gift you have given them. Grant them the presence of your Holy Spirit that they may bring up these children to know you, to love you, and to serve you. Amen. Friends, I want to invite us to respond to God together, singing a song that's come to mean a lot in my family's life, Wash, O God, Our Sons and Daughters. You might consider this your prayer and our prayer for the future of our church. Let's sing together. Take a seat.
Inevitably, you'll forget some things in the challenge of all of this. One of the things uh, we wanted to do to welcome our new baptized members uh, is to give them gifts. And so one of the gifts that we had in mind for you was this small uh, handmade cross out of olive wood. And if you'll notice the shape, I'll give these to one of you, to, to all of our new baptized members. It's shaped a little bit funny. I don't know if you can see that on the, on the camera or whatnot, but it's meant for you to hold it so that when you're praying, you can use this to hold as a reminder that God holds you. And so we thought of you guys with that. I'm going to ask Miss Kate if she can help pass those out. And maybe one more round of applause there. And I want to invite uh, both uh, James and uh, Colleen and Carla and Josh to come on up, because we actually have one more task for you guys to welcome you as members. So in addition to baptisms, we also welcome these families uh, and these adults as professing members of our church. So if you guys would gather around the font here so we can see you. Yeah, why don't you guys come on up here? It's a little crowded today. Today, along with Garrett, Cullen, Eleanor, and Joy, we welcome into the church's fellowship these friends who wish to confess their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. James and Colleen and Josh and Carla, in your baptisms, you were marked as members of Christ Church. It's our joy today to welcome you as members of this congregation. We believe that the Holy Spirit has led you to this congregation at this time for your good and for ours. We sense gifts that God has given you. We welcome you in the sharing of your gifts for our encouragement, and we promise to share our gifts with you for your encouragement. In this giving and receiving, we hope God's church will be built up and that it will grow. And so we invite you now to affirm your faith in Christ and express your commitment to the life of this church and to the mission that God has given us. Three questions. The ones we've been going over, right? Ready? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior sent to redeem the world, the one who saves you from your sin? Do you believe the Bible is God's word revealing Christ and his redemption? And do you believe that the teachings of this church reflect that revelation? James, Colleen, Josh, Carl. Do you accept the gracious promises of God sealed to you in your baptism and do you affirm your union with Christ and his church? of which your baptism signifies, James. Josh. Carla. Do you promise to do all that you can, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to strengthen your love and commitment to Christ by sharing faithfully in the life of the church, honoring and submitting to its authority? And do you join with the people of God in doing the work of the Lord everywhere? James. James, Colleen, Josh, and Carla, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I welcome you to the full participation in the life of this church. I welcome you to its responsibilities, its joys, and its sufferings. Together we say, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. All right. And I have words of encouragement and challenge 
for us from Colossians. Friends, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive each other. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, being thanks to the Father through him. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's welcome our new friends. And in addition to that, we have gifts for your families as well, a book that I, we've come to really appreciate, uh, children's versions of the Bible uh, with great illustrations and really great words. So, and if you want to share them with your kids too, you can, right? Um, and also some gifts from us as a family for both of your families. Welcome. We get to continue the celebration together. Uh, at a potluck after the service, and so friends, until then, you can take a seat. Would the deacons please come forward for uh, our morning offering? Please pray with me. Abba, Father, what love you have lavished upon us that we are called your children. And as your children, you have showered us with so many blessings. We now offer a portion of the gifts you have given us back to you. Use them to increase your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
God invites us into worship this morning, saying, the peace of Christ is with you. And also with you. Let's extend that peace to one another now. Would all the kids age four through second grade please come forward? People of God, what is our prayer? and serve Jesus. My name is Eric Waringa. I'm an elder here, and it's my privilege to pray for us this morning. Would you bow with me? Father God, we come before you this morning in awe and wonder of your grace and mercy that you so freely give, though it's undeserved. As we reflect on the events of this past week and the celebration of your son's death and resurrection, we're reminded of your love for us, that you would send your son, pure and perfect, to wipe our sins away through his blood on the cross and resurrection on Easter morning. Lord, even though it's by your grace that, we are, that our sins are washed away, we are sinful by nature. Please keep us from sinful desires and actions. Wrap us in your protection and help us to, become, to come before you to ask for forgiveness when we fall. We're reminded that as high as heaven is over the earth, so strong is your love to those who fear you. You, and as far as sunrises from sunset, you have separated us from our sins. We praise you for your steadfast love. Lord, you charged us to go out and train everyone far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism and instructing them in all the practice you have commanded us with. Today, as we celebrate the baptism of Garrett, Colin, Eleanor, and Joy, and welcome the Van Ecks and Weringas into the life of Pleasant Street Church. And we rejoice together with you that your kingdom may grow and that we as a congregation dedicate ourselves to walking along with these families as they participate in this church and raise their children. Father, while we rejoice with new members, we also remember those who cannot be here due to physical limitations and illness. We also pray for those struggling with sickness and cancer diagnoses, Hank H., Rick L., Jerry K., and Ron V. Lord, we ask for your healing hand and wisdom for caregivers, and we thank you for the healing of Carol L. and Minnie W. You are the great physician, and we put our trust in you alone. Lord, we also pray for those who suffer from depression and anxiety, and those facing financial insecurity. Help us to be your hands and feet and walk close with those in need. 
we pray for those grieving the loss of loved ones. Bring your comfort into very real and painful circumstances. Help us as to, help us as to walk beside those that are hurting and need to feel your love. We pray for your world that, is, that you've created, that you bring peace to our lands, that you protect those that must defend humanity. When we hear a death and destruction in Ukraine and mass shootings here at home, we feel the weight of sin and destruction. Lord, hear our prayer and come quickly. Be with us now, Lord, and open our hearts to receive your word. I pray this in your name alone. Amen. Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from the book of John, initially, chapter 11, verses 17 through 44, and then after that will be in the book of Revelation. On his arrival... Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here 
that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now continuing from the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of whom who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce my faith in, your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who is put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. <clears throat> In the first part of my sermon, I'll have several pictures to show. I hope you can see them, but if you can't, it's okay. As I was sitting there, it occurred to me that there's actually something greater than the pictures, and that's this here, because my message really is going to tell you that the cross of Christ is greater than anything you'll see on the screen here. So, um, but hopefully you can see some of the pictures. Um, I feel rather anticlimactic after that beautiful baptism, so... Um, but alas, I have been uh, tasked with sharing with you um, a passage this morning and to kick off a sermon series, so we best do that. You might be wondering what the two passages have to do with each other, um, John 11 and Revelation 2, and uh, I hope to share that with you today. Uh, as I kick off a sermon series for Pastor Matthew on the I Am statements from the book of John. There are seven metaphors or images of who Jesus is um, in the book of John. Scott read a portion of John 11 where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, one of those seven I am statements. But how does the church of Pergamum, Revelation 2, fit into that? Well, hang on, and 20 minutes from now you'll have that figured out. My wife and I had the blessing in 2003 of being able to go to the seven churches um, of Revelation in the country of Turkey, and I want to share with you about one of them today called Pergamum as a backdrop for the sermon series over the next couple of months. Forgive me if I slip into teacher mode for a little while. I promise I will come back to being preacher in a little while. Um, let's go back in time. We want to go to first century AD. We're going to go to the country of Turkey today, the western portion of Turkey known in the Bible as Asia Minor, and on the map you can see the seven cities of Revelation. And we are going to visit that northernmost one, Pergamum. Pergamum, it was quite the city in John's day, a beautiful, prosperous, influential 
city known throughout the world. Pergamum, what a city. One of the seven churches of Revelation 2 and 3. Alexander the Great in the early 300s brought his dominant Greek influence to this city as well as many others throughout the known world. These cities were infused with Greek art and statues, temples, mythology, theater, sports competitions, and Greek language. It was called Hellenism, the love of everything Greek, and Alexander loved it and promoted it. Here you can see a theater built into the side of a hill where Greek plays were held, often retelling stories of Greek mythological gods and their escapades. Eventually, this would include the Roman gods as well. Later in John's life, around the 70s and 80s AD, he was a traveling pastor to these seven cities. He visited and he encouraged the Christian churches there, and he wanted them to grow and love Jesus with a passionate commitment. However, while there was a Christian population in Pergamum, the Greek and Roman culture was dominant in that city and the surrounding countryside. Columns and water fountains and statues of gods and temples made of beautiful white marble, the Olympic Games and so on were prevalent throughout the cities all around the Mediterranean Sea. Emperors especially loved the culture of Pergamum. In fact, archaeologists have found the remains of a statue that seems to suggest that emperors kept this statue there to pronounce their power and glory. But humorously, as each emperor died, the head was removed and a new head was attached to it. In Revelation, you can hear John's sharp rebuke of the pagan practices in Pergamum. He chastises the city for allowing the teachings and practices of Balaam and Balak which in the book of Numbers causes Israel to be enticed into Moabite sexual practices and idolatry. He also berates the Nicolaitans, a group who apparently encouraged Christians to blend in with society so as not to have to make the hard choices about faith versus Roman culture. Nicolaitans felt it was okay to hide one's faith in order to escape the burden or inconvenience or even persecution due to one's beliefs in the Jewish God or in Jesus. To enter the city of Pergamum, one, or to, sorry, to enter the city of Pergamum or to participate in the Agora, the market, one had to burn incense or pledge one's love for various gods like Artemis or Zeus or Athena. Committed Christians didn't want to do that, and so they would have to endure walking around the gates or up hills and enter the city through long and difficult means, thus refusing to bow down to the gods, the emperor's statues, and perhaps struggling for their faith. Nicolaitans, by contrast, well, they burned the incense and they bowed down to the statues to ensure they wouldn't have to suffer for the faith, and John calls them weak and embarrassing, to put it mildly. Numerous Greek and Roman gods were worshipped there, and in that pagan world, it was believed that the gods controlled all of life. Sun and rain, earthquakes and hail, locusts and drought, fertility, both human and um, animal fertility, crop fertility, all of it was under the control of the gods, and if you keep the gods happy, they bless you. If you make them mad, you suffer from famine and earthquake and infertility. You suffer and pay for your disrespect. 
In John 13, sorry, in verse 13, John levels a strong blow to Pergamum. He says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Where Satan has his throne. I wonder what John had in mind. Where is the throne of Satan in Pergamum? There were lots of possibilities. Could John be talking about Demeter, the goddess of bread? If one liked to eat, you better keep Demeter happy. Demeter made the grain grow, and bread was a staple of food in the first century diet. If you're going to enjoy potluck, you better keep Demeter happy in those, that culture. It's not much of a stretch to think that one prayed, give us this day our daily bread to Demeter. Demeter was the bread of life, so to speak. The local massive fields of ripe grain in April were a testimony to the power of Demeter. To trust Demeter was to believe that she would give you life, present physical life and spiritual life hereafter. The Demeter temple in the lower regions of Pergamum declared her life-giving power. Perhaps this was the throne of Satan? Or maybe it was Asclepius. Maybe John has Asclepius in mind. He was the son of Apollo and Coronis in the world of mythology. He had four daughters, Iaso, Asiso, Panacea, and Hygieia. You can hear hints of the medical field in Panacea, which is a quick medical fix like a Band-Aid or an aspirin for a headache. And Hygieia is connected to hygiene. The ancient myths suggested that Asclepius died and rose again. Hence, if you were ill or injured, you might want to come to Pergamum, where there was a well-known hospital for healing, which was at the discretion, of course, at Asclepius. It was he who could prolong your life or take it away. Your life was in his hands. The cures offered at the hospital might sound familiar. Exercise, eat right, herbal remedies, and laughter. If one was cured, one gave gifts to the priest of Asclepius and had one's name engraved on a white stone. There was a spring of water there. It was believed that Asclepius provided that water. And if you drank the water, your increases, it increased your chances of healing and of long life. Asclepius was, in Pergamum, the living water. He was said to take the form of a snake, and perhaps this is where our picture of a snake on a pole comes in our medical profession today. The hospital, also located at the base of the hill on which Pergamum stood, declared the life-giving power of this God. Thousands of people came every year to be healed of diseases, aches, and pains. And it was believed that Asclepius could heal. And many were healed. And they left gifts to honor Asclepius and say thanks. And those who were healed of their diseases had their names etched into a white stone. Could this be the throne of Satan? Or maybe it's Athena. Maybe John had Athena in mind. Athena was the goddess of truth and wisdom, which could be found in books. On top of the hill on which Pergamum was located, the temple of Athena contained a massive library. Books were difficult to make and very expensive, having many books boasted of Pergamum's wealth. It was through books that one learned of the Greek myths and gods and was instructed of the value of Greek and Roman culture, of the myths and the gods. If you wanted wisdom, you seek Athena. She was the goddess of truth and life. She was the way to wisdom. 
And if you want to please Athena, you put your artist to work, creating the most intricate, detailed, beautiful stonework to adorn her temple. Could this be the throne of Satan? Or maybe it's Dionysius. Just down a bit from the top of the top of Pergamum, you'll find the temple to Dionysius. Certainly a logical place to call the throne of Satan. Dionysius was the god of the grape. When the grape harvest was in, it was time to celebrate the goodness of this god. On the first day of the Dionysius festival, barrels of water were brought to the temple here and kept overnight. The next day when the priests arrived, they took the barrels out of the temple. Can you guess what happened? The water turned to wine. Now, I'll keep this as PG as I can, but let's just say Dionysius promoted drunkenness and free sexuality. It was wild spring break party. Let's leave it at that. When drinking the wine, when one felt filled with the spirit of Dionysius, and perhaps that is why today we use the term spirits, referring to various types of alcohol. The Dionysius festival was celebrated for two weeks. Dionysus was the god who provided the much-loved grape and needed to be worshipped if you wanted to keep the good times going. And one could say Dionysius was the true vine. On a hill nearby was a theater. It was massive. The acoustics were amazing. And likely in this theater, plays were performed that taught about the gods of Pergamum. Maybe this is the throne of Satan. Or what about Apollo? Another god who might claim the moniker throne of Satan. Apollo had several qualities of powers. Healing, prophecy, skill with the bow and arrow. But for our purposes, Apollo was the god of light. Sunlight, for instance. You want crops to grow? You need light. You want to see where you're going? You need light. Apollo guided the sun. Obviously, you needed to worship Apollo to live. Apollo was the light of the world, so to speak. Interesting. Today, we have a venue in New York City called the Apollo Theater. And aptly so, as there are lights that light up the performers on a stage. A very appropriate name for a theater. Could that be the throne of Satan? Or maybe it's Zeus. Could John have been thinking of Zeus, the greatest of all gods? He was the protector of all the gods. His altar is found on the top of Pergamum to indicate his power over all the other gods and goddesses. He also controlled the weather, thunder, lightning, and the movement of the planets. He also made it rain necessary for life. This certainly could be the throne of Satan. So which is the throne of Satan? Well, of course, it could be one, but it could be all. Pergamum had a lot of candidates to claim as the place where Satan had his throne. Interesting that of the seven letters or cities in Revelation 2 or 3, Pergamum is the one where John discusses the throne of Satan. I'm wondering if you've heard a few things that have sounded familiar so far. Perhaps you've heard a few phrases that sound like Jesus in there. Well, remember, John was a disciple of Jesus. He witnessed the events and he heard the teachings of Jesus. And John does something really cool here. He parodies, that is, he sort of makes fun of, connects the gods of Pergamum 
by claiming Jesus is the real God and they are fakes. He knew Pergamum. He ministered to the Christian churches there. He knew there were some who were faithful Christians and who loved Jesus, but there were also some in the church who participated in the perversions of the Greek and Roman culture and were quite unwilling to endure any struggle that may come because of faith. And John has a message. He wants to tell you this. You know that goddess Demeter? She's not the real bread god. It's Jesus who cares for you. It's Jesus who provides the bread. He's the real bread of life. And to prove it, John describes for us in his gospel, chapter 6, feeding the 5,000. John later in the same chapter tells us, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Believe in Jesus, John says, the real bread God. And John says, you know that God, Aslepius, he doesn't give you water and healing, Jesus does. You want life? Believe in Jesus. He can change your life in radical ways. And so John, in chapter 4 of his gospel, tells us of a Samaritan woman who had her life turned upside down. Well, actually, we should say right side up, shouldn't we? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty of the well there, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring welling up to eternal life. She, that woman, drank that water of life, that living water, and she went from feeling disgrace and shame, having been married five times, living with a six, coming to a well at noon to avoid people. Hey, now she enters the public streets and town squares, and she couldn't wait to find people and tell them about Jesus. She drank the living water from Jesus, and her life was never the same. Do you really want to follow Athena, John asks? Is she really the source of your truth and knowledge? I want to tell you about Jesus, who's the real source of truth and wisdom in life. I've seen his miracles, I've heard his life changing teachings. I've seen his command of Torah. I've seen his compassion with the hurting. And so John tells us in chapter 14, as he's speaking to the disciples in the upper room, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And John says there is no other way but believing in the name of Jesus. He is our source of truth. The only way to life is through His death and resurrection. He's the only one who can turn life around with just a few words of hope. Is Apollo really your source of light? What do you think John says? Are you getting the idea now? I bet you're thinking of a man in John 9 who was healed of blindness for the first time, he could see light. And Jesus says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then he healed a blind man who could now see light. And Jesus said, it is only through him that we will really see, capital T, truth. And we need to understand that we are to be led by the light of the world who loves us dearly. Apollo can't do for you what Jesus can. 
And now I imagine Pergamum thinking, oh, no, 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 no. Don't ask us to give up that Dionysius, that, that awesome party. It's just too much. But John says, wait. Do you really want to settle for wine that does so little for you? It wears off. It causes so many poor choices and ruins families. And as a result of the festival of Dionysius, some women found themselves pregnant, not by their husbands. Husbands then rejected their wives and the child to be born, forcing expectant mothers to be homeless. The free-for-all of the Dionysius festival left a trail of pain and tragedy in its wake. But consider Jesus, who at a wedding in John 2 turns water into wine. He cares so much about sparing a groom's embarrassment at running out of wine at the wedding that he turns water into wine. He isn't promoting drunkenness. He's showing his power over nature. He helps out a host and he launches his ministry. In John 15 again, the upper room, he says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He offers so much more than Dionysius. We are offered God's love and acceptance. We find our joy, our hope in life through God, through Jesus the vine. No vine, no life. And Jesus gives us His love. And just a few hours after He says these amazing words, He shows the extent of that love by dying on a cross. With Dionysius, you get a hangover and ruined relationships. And finally, you know, there's one more time that John keys into something that Jesus does to show His power and holiness. Something greater than Asclepius. You see, Asclepius couldn't heal everyone. Do you know the priest at the temple of Asclepius refused to help pregnant women or the elderly? Because those patients were less likely to be healed, and that would bring down their percentage of success and thus hurt their reputation. Asclepius, according to myth, may have died and rose again, but no one saw it. It was a myth. You just had to believe what the priest told you. Nor could Asclepius bring someone back to life. Do you know someone who brought someone back to life? Yes, John 11. Jesus tells us Lazarus is sick in Bethany. Jesus is about a two-day walk on the, away on the other side of the Jordan River. When Laz, he is told that Lazarus is sick, he waits for two days. His disciples think he's afraid to go near Jerusalem because the leaders have put out a call for his arrest, and Bethany is just a couple of miles away from Jerusalem. But Jesus waits, and then he says, let's go to Bethany, and he shares with his disciples that he knows that Lazarus has passed away. And his disciples are now confused, like, why didn't you leave earlier then? You could, maybe you could have gotten there. Why did you wait two days? When he arrives in Bethany, Jesus meets Martha first. She's ticked off at him for not coming sooner. Surely he could have gotten here sooner. If you had been here, my brother would not have died, she cries. And Jesus assures her that he will rise again, and she naturally assumes at the end of time. And Jesus says those amazing words of hope in the face of death, I am the resurrection and the life. Perhaps the most powerful and life-changing of the I am statements. 
Believe in me and you have eternal life, says Jesus. And here, John wants us to know something. This God-man Jesus, he's greater than Asclepius. He can guarantee eternal life. And then he goes and he proves that he alone has the power to raise someone back from the dead. And after speaking with Mary, Jesus goes to the tomb. And then, the second shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Why? He knew he, what he was going to do in a few short moments. Why cry? All right, maybe he's moved by the anguish of the crowd, how much they loved Lazarus and they show their tears. Maybe, like a Hallmark movie, you know, ladies, you're moved by a Hallmark movie at an emotional time, you might cry, even though you know it's going to have a happy ending and they're going to kiss at the end and all that. You're moved by the emotion. Or maybe Jesus is angry at the ugliness that sin brings, death, and the pain of death brings tears. And he cries, and it reminds us that Jesus hates death too, and he cries with us in our pain. He moves to the tomb, and he orders the stone cover be removed. But Mary objects. He's been in there four days. She's been counting. And this morning, when she reached day four, her anger really boiled over at Jesus. She has no idea. No idea what Jesus would do, but she knows her Jewish culture. It was the fourth day. And on the fourth day, the soul or spirit leaves. There is no more hope, no slightest glimmer of any miracle, no wild idea anymore that maybe Lazarus could somehow come alive. His soul is gone. Today it left. Jesus, you're not here yet. There's no chance Lazarus is dead for good. But Jesus is unfazed. It only takes belief. He speaks to his Father to assure them that this is his Father's will, to help solidify that Jesus is Lord of life and death. And then Jesus calls Lazarus to come out of the grave. And I imagine there is a moment where the crowd watches with bated breath. What did he just say? Did he just call for Lazarus to come out? What will happen? Isn't Lazarus dead? Could they dare hope for such a miracle? Could Jesus? Would Jesus? Should Jesus? And then there's Lazarus. Wrapped in strips of linen, probably looking a lot like a mummy. Imagine that scene. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And John describes in chapter 11, when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Earlier, Jesus predicted he would do this when speaking to Martha in verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever lives by believing me will never die. Jesus is our way to eternal life. The only way to eternal life. Asclepius won't help you. He's a fake God, as are all the others, says John. And by the way, don't forget who actually did die on the third and rose on the third day. How could you forget since we just celebrated last week? He is the only one who really died and really rose. And there were lots of witnesses. And because of that, we have eternal life with him in heaven.
that assurance of salvation, what a gift. We've had some difficult deaths in our church family and community lately. I think I've been to five visiting hours or funerals in the last five months. We've mourned the loss of loved ones. How much more painful that would be if we didn't have the comfort of eternal life, Jesus, and the knowledge that one day we'll be reunited, reunited with our loved ones. And it reminds me of these powerful words. We could put them on the screen. Question and answer one. What is your only comfort in life and in death? And will you say them with me, please? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him. Many of us have treasured those words and memorized them as if they were Scripture. And they are, of course, based on Scripture. They give us such hope, such promise and assurance and comfort. We have a life hereafter. A better home awaits us. And it's all thanks to our Lord, our God, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. No person and no so-called God is greater what sets Jesus apart from all the other gods that could be worshipped today? There is no God who has shown more self-sacrificial love. No God can love you deeper. I am the resurrection and the life, says Jesus. And it's the source of our hope in the face of suffering and death. The source of our joy in our day-to-day -day lives. The source of our confidence in a future in heaven with our Savior. May we all have that assurance of salvation as we live our lives. May we all be living billboards, walking testimonies, beaming images of the one who is the resurrection and the life. May we eat daily the bread of life. May we drink often from the living water. May we shine with hope, knowing who is the light of the world. May we find our life and our hope in the one who is the true vine. May we find our way, know our truth, and experience real life from the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And may we live those words that we know as hope and peace and assurance from the one who died and resurrected. May we know that. In Jesus, amen. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our Lord and Savior, our hope of a resurrection and assurance of life to come. We thank you and we praise you. We adore you as the baby born in a manger who would come and die for us as the Savior of the world. It means everything to us. Jesus, we praise you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now would our Echo Kids please come forward to be dismissed. People of God, 
What is our prayer? Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. parting words. May the God who makes everything holy and whole make you holy and whole, put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our Master Jesus Christ. The one who called you is completely dependable. If he said it, he will do it. Amen.
peace to love and serve Jesus, and please join us for lunch, which is ready. Let me pray for that so we can get started. Lord Jesus, all of this new life that comes out of the grave with you at your resurrection continues to spill out, flowing over this earth, bringing new life where there was only death before, washing even us. Lord Jesus, this new life is as real as the water that falls on our heads and it is real as church fellowship at a potluck. We ask, O oh God, now that through these ordinary means that you would remind us of your love, your care, and your closeness for us and all the promises that are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen.